You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Hey, well, welcome everybody. We're glad you're here. I want to say hi to those who are joining with us online. I know we got a couple of folks with us online, so we are glad that you're here with us too. Um, For those who are new to Citrus, maybe if you're uh, still kind of getting used to this, my name is Brian. I serve as the pastor of Citrus, and I'm glad that we are together in person and online in worship today. Uh, And so as we gather together today, just a a quick mention of some things that are coming up next week. Uh, Because of, you know, that whole 2020 thing, (laughs) we changed the way we used to do some things here. So one of the things that we've been working on is kind of a refresh of our space here at Summer Lake. And so what that means is next week we've been working on some plans for about two months to kind of bring some things back. Um, A couple of them include kind of expanding our playground areas um, for kids who are with us in worship. Uh, Also, bringing back coffee. Uh, (laughs) There you go. You can tell who's very excited about that one. So um, we'll be bringing back coffee next week. We're very excited for that, not just because of the fact it's coffee and many of us like live off of that. Uh, but because it gives us a chance to connect with each other. And, and, and that's always my heart is when we come together as a worshiping community that it's not just about kind of us having an individual experience. It's about the people that we have a chance to share it with, to meet someone new, to get to know some others. Uh, and, and coffee is a great way to do that. So a couple other pieces will be included in that, but next week we're uh, turning that around and refreshing the space. So we're thankful for that. This morning we're wrapping up our look at the book of Mark. And we're going to end it with a story from here that's probably familiar to many of us. Uh, So this morning we'll be looking at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. So if you do follow along in a Bible or on your phone, feel free to follow along at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And so I'll read from it here. I want to invite you to hear these words. It says, Jesus sat across from the collection box for the temple treasury and observed how the crowd gave their money. Many rich people were throwing in lots of money. One poor widow came forward and put in two small copper coins worth a penny. Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who's been putting money in the treasury. All of them are giving out of their spare change. But she from her hopeless poverty, has given everything she has, even what she needed to live on. So let me invite us into prayer as we begin to look at this scripture. God, as we gather together this morning, uh, we give thanks for this story, and we pray that you would uh, open our ears and our eyes, that you would help our hearts to receive your scripture, and that you would help our hands to find ways to live this out. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. So this story, of course, took place in Jerusalem, and Jesus, as we've been following through the gospel of the last couple of weeks, has been making his way around the area, but now has been making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and there's a celebration aspect of that. You might think of things like Palm Sunday, where Jesus is celebrated coming into town. But we know that it very quickly goes towards the Last Supper, goes towards the cross. But Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's really the pinnacle of of Mark's writing, and he's in the place where the temple is. Um, And I wanted to put a picture up here just to kind of highlight a few things. I realize you can't read all of these uh, little notes and whatnot, Uh, but the temple was really the focal point of Jerusalem, the focal point of the Hebrew faith. Uh, Today, it would be the Temple Mount area that we see. 
But in those times, there was the large temple in the middle, the holy place, the holy of holies, where only the priests could go. There was kind of these large outer walls. There was gates. So there was a courtyard here where priests and others could come. But there was a section here called the women's courtyard. Uh, And then beyond that were the steps and kind of the entry place. So everyone kind of made their way in to the temple complex there. The women's courtyard was labeled, probably for obvious reasons, uh, everyone could gather there, but women could go no further than that courtyard. Men could go further. We can discuss that another day. But within that courtyard were, uh, where this orange arrow points to some giving receptacles. There's a certain kind of uh, irony to me that everyone can go beyond that section, but we're going to make sure to put the giving place where everyone can go. Right? Uh, so there were giving receptacles, and, and so a part of the daily, everyday kind of pattern of being a faithful follower of God in those times was a part of giving, giving towards the temple. We still practice this in this time. And historically, the the things may have looked like this. There was historically about 13 different uh, coffers, we might call them. They were shaped like trumpets. It kind of had a historical significance. And there was 13 of these trumpet-shaped receptacles lining the wall there in the women's courtyard. And when you would come in, you would bring your, your money, your, your offering, and you would place it in those. Thankfully, of course, they had phenomenal photography back then, and they could capture that scene on that one day. But I think this is a good example because it shows us an example of what that might have looked like, how people were around, how this wasn't really a formal worship-type service. This was just a gathering place. It was a community space where people would gather and talk, discuss ideas, discuss scriptures, give their money. So this was kind of a place where people were around. They were milling. They were watching and they were a part of it. And Mark tells us that on that day, Jesus and his disciples were there, uh, and Jesus was doing what many of us who are pass holders at area resorts do, is we just go to people watch. Right? Jesus was there, and he was watching all this take place, and he was watching over here, and he noticed this woman who puts in her money. Now, the money that she puts in is described in my translation, the Common English Bible. One way it may be described a little different in yours uh, Historically, it's thought that she put in either a lepta or a pruta. And these are two different coins, and whichever one it was, it was basically the smallest possible coin that they had in those days. Their minting practices weren't quite as standardized as ours, and so anybody who was in power could mint things because when you put your face on something, it means you're important. And there's an irony to these coins. They were so small that it was actually hard to imprint them right straight on. So a lot of these ones end up with these offset prints because they were so small, and when you're trying to mint these things, they move, and things move. I mean, I want to kind of paint for us a picture of how small and insignificant this offering was that she may have brought. This coin that she would have brought, the two coins together, could have bought perhaps a bath at one of the public bathhouses, or it could have gotten you a third a pound of bread. Like you go to the store, you buy your loaf of sandwich bread, like a, maybe a third, right? So, so I want to, this wasn't a lot of money. This wasn't a lot to have. And it tells us in my particular one that this may have been about one-eighth of a penny, right? Uh, one, and here's the number, one and one-twenty-eighth of a day's pay. So those who are better at math than I am, you can figure out what is one one-hundred-and-twenty-eighth of your day's pay, And that's about how much she brought that day with her. 
I mean, we're really talking about part of one of our pennies, part of one of our pennies, like not even the whole thing. And this is what she brought that day to give as her offering into this trumpet, into the temple, into this faith system that she was a part of. And as we begin to think about this person, we we recognize that as a widow, that she was in one of the lowest tiers, really the lowest tier of someone in those days. And she was really mostly probably a beggar. There was only a few ways to get money in those times. And if you were a widow, you were pretty much left out of the system. And so you were contingent on people giving you something. And what's interesting to me is that the money that she put in that day was probably what someone else had given to her. That was probably the change that someone tossed in her bin as they walked by on their way to the temple to give their gift. And she takes that and she gives that. But as we look at this, the reason no one notices or pays attention except Jesus is because this isn't a gift of significance. This isn't a gift that anyone would have been very excited about. The Those who counted the offering at the end of the day wouldn't even have noticed it. It's on that side of the decimal point, right? It's not even on the left side of the decimal point. And what we see here is that this was not a significant gift, no matter how we cut it or how we as humans look at that. And I doubt it happened exactly like this, but I want to bring us into a modern sense to try to put an understanding on how this might have looked. We oftentimes see and celebrate the big gifts. right? And so perhaps there would have been a day where somebody came up and gave the big check. Y'all know the big checks, right? The big checks are great because I could imagine one day, again, they didn't have the printing presses available for that, but someone comes to the temple with their big check, right? So-and-so's business is excited to give to God's temple this big check. And, you know, they all stand on this side and then the priest and everybody stand on this side and kind of receive the check. And that would have been a celebrated gift, right? Someone brings something of significance, It's a gift that can really make a difference. They can buy the furnishings that they needed. They could do the upgrade that they wanted. They could do the things that they had been planning for because someone had given out of their abundance to make it happen. And we're thankful for these, and these are celebrated. And these are the kind of gifts that we see um, from our nonprofits that we follow. Those are the ones that we see on social media. You know, those are the ones that we get excited about. As a church, when, when the check comes in that's bigger than that, we get excited. These are the moments that are celebrated. Those are the celebrated givers. And on that day, that's not the one who catches Jesus' eye. That's not the giver that Jesus sees and celebrates. And what we see here is a contrast between the big check giving, the show of here's what I'm doing. And I don't want to say that this is bad. I mean, how many of our nonprofits exist because of the checks of this size, right? These are things that help make these things go and serve others. These are the things that really help. But Jesus calls his disciples over because in this woman putting in her part of a penny, he has seen something that he wants to highlight. And Jesus saw an example that the disciples needed. And he says, here is someone who is giving not out of their abundance, which is good, but out of her poverty. She's not giving out of her spare change and the extra that she has. She's giving up her life. She's giving everything that she has. I mean, those two leptas, those parts of a penny, that was all she had. She gave it. 
And he wants them to begin to understand that what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him, and to live our life for God means that when we give, we're giving not just kind of out of the extra that we have, but we're giving our whole life in service of someone else. And they didn't quite catch it at that point, but later as they would see Jesus on the cross, maybe these things would begin to connect and say, God gave his whole life for me. How might I give my life in service to someone else? And so we see very quickly that this isn't quite so much about giving. This isn't a sermon about tithing or about giving. This is a message about how do we give our life away in the service of others. And Jesus does something that's unique in the Gospels, and it only happens in Mark. Uh, And this is one of those things about Jesus. He always takes what is expected and flips it upside down on its head. And here is someone that we would typically see as the recipient of charity. She was probably sitting by the roadside often. She probably had a space where she would be to gather money. And we would see this widow as a beggar, someone who was the recipient of charity. And Jesus says, that's the celebrated giver. That's the celebrated giver. And I want to invite you to see how Jesus responds. So we're going to look together at Mark 12, verse 43. And I want to highlight something here. I switched over to the NRSV version because it highlights this a little bit better. It says, Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than any of the others. And so when Jesus does this, this is unique in the Gospel of Mark, and it's unique in the New Testament. No one else is recorded as having spoken this way. We would translate this word as amen. So Jesus begins his speech to the disciples by saying, amen, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those. And I think that's unique that he starts with this word amen. It's a Jesus thing that he does several times in Mark. And the reason that that is there is it's used as a way to affirm what is true. It's used to affirm the thing that has divine approval. And so what we see here is Jesus people watching, seeing this woman put the penny that she had, the part of the penny into the offering, and Jesus looks over, God in the flesh, and says, amen. That is the example, right? Jesus is saying that offering is received. That offering is pleasing to God. The sacrifice that she made is exactly it. Right? We think of amen as a way of kind of wrapping up our prayers. Not quite as a the end, it's more of a let it be so. And the way Jesus uses this uniquely in this, it's a Jesus thing that he does here, is a way of saying that God affirms and approves this giver and this gift. And imagine how surprising that would have been to others. Right? The guy who's like walking in with the big check is like, wait a minute, that's all I had to give? But it's the difference between giving out of abundance versus her giving everything that she had. And it affirms that God sees the gift, even the most smallest, even the the most seemingly insignificant, even the thing that for most of us we wouldn't even catch because we wouldn't have the eyes to see it. It affirms that God sees those little actions, those little gifts, those little ways that we extend ourselves in service to others. Even if the person who receives it doesn't quite catch it. God sees it and and offers an amen onto that kind of life. As we think about this, I want to frame this and and try to put this into context for us, how we live our life this way. Um, I don't have to remind all of us of what today is. Today is September 11th. Uh, 
and, and generationally, as I look around, each of us were in different places on that day, different ages. And thankfully, I had a chance to kind of see a movie that gave me a different perspective. I'm looking for it. There is it. I want to thank Sandy in the back for turning me on uh, to Come From Away. Has anyone seen this? this uh, maybe you've seen it live, or maybe you've seen it. If not, uh, you can get a free three-month trial on Apple+, Plus, um, or it's just a couple more pennies to kind of get that. That'd be a worthy offering. Uh, but I want to kind of share about this because I had a chance to watch this after Sandy talked about it, and it wasn't something I'd heard about before. And so it's the story of the morning of September 11th, and it begins in Gander, Newfoundland, in, the, in a Canadian province. And, and to my Canadian friends in the back, if I get something wrong, please, please let me know. Um, and so on the morning of September 11th, after the first planes began to hit, planes were diverted. And so you remember how everything was confused and we didn't know what was happening. And so a lot of planes were diverted. And uh, this little town of Gander has about 9,000 residents. But in those days, it had a giant airfield. It used to be the place that planes would stop over to refuel before kind of making the overseas hop. Uh, with larger tanks, it wasn't needed anymore. And so this city had this giant airfield that was really not in use. And the joke in the movie is, are they ever going to knock it down? We'll get around to that. And so because of that, they diverted several planes there. And as the movie unfolds, we find out that over the course of five days, that 38 planes were diverted there, and about 6,000 passengers on those planes from overseas, from the U.S., from, Canada, from everywhere, begin to just get off the plane into this town. And the population literally doubles because of all these residents there who are really not prepared to handle that. And so the tagline goes, it was five days, 19 animals, 38 planes, and 7,000 people. And so there's these really heartwarming stories of how the town of Gander and the other surrounding towns responded to this. There's a story of a guy from New York uh, who stayed with one of the mayors of the towns, and he was told to go and grab the barbecues. Right? For those of us who grew up in the South, everything there is a barbecue that's done on a grill. Like I had to learn that myself. And so he told him to go grab all the barbecues, and the guy from New York said, like, that's, that would be stealing. I can't do that. And the joke was, house to house and began to go to people's backyards and take barbecues, worried he was stealing. And he said, all they would want to know is just, could they offer me a cup of tea and could they help me load up their barbecue? Like, would they ever get it back? Who knows? But that was the, the spirit and the generosity of just grabbing all these barbecues. There were the stories of people and, and how the town opened homes, uh, businesses, schools, and just made a place anywhere and everywhere for these displaced people from around the world to come. And it's a, it's, a, it's a tragic, beautiful, inspiring, challenging film that kind of reminds us of the diversity of the world and the way that in a tragedy they can all come together. There's a story at the end where when they were finally able to reboard the planes and begin to take off and go back to their original destinations. Because you remember, we didn't know what was happening. Was there going to be more planes? Was there an issue with planes? So after five days, they were told that uh, they were getting back on the planes and the, the people of Gander came out with, with lunch bags ready to give them and they had a, a lunch bag uh, gauntlet for the people getting on the planes. And so it's this heartwarming story of how this town gave big, of how they gave everything that they had their whole lives over the course of five days. And 
It reminded me of the story of the widow who just took everything that she had her entire life and poured it out. Once the people get back on the planes and begin to leave, you, you hear the mayor and the others begin to say, we hadn't slept in five days for many of us. Because they were just trying to find anything that they could do to serve these people who had come from away. If you've never had a chance to see this, I want to invite you to take the hour and 47 minutes to watch that. And I think the truth of a story like this is a lot of times when we begin to think about how do we give away our lives in service to someone else, we come to examples like this. And there's certainly times in life where everything is so thrown off that we can respond together in one collective way. We, we saw these things in the beginning of the pandemic and throughout where so much has happened that we must find a way to respond together. But I think the thankful thing is that these big opportunities don't have, the opportunity to give big doesn't happen that often and we're thankful for it because it takes something like a September 11th or a worldwide pandemic or something big and tragic. And so what we see in this story is, is not Jesus saying, of course, do those big things, but also what we see is Jesus bringing this into an everyday life. Jesus spot, shines the spotlight on a daily action that this woman takes. I want to invite us to remember that in those days that giving was just a part of life. The receptacles were there. The courtyard was the place you went. It was really just a part of the way that you lived, that you gave back to, to God's work in the world. And so Jesus is trying to highlight, here is a small, everyday way that someone has given away their life. And so I think that can help us to begin to think about how do we take this big idea and put it into practice in our lives. A friend of mine, uh, another pastor, posted on Facebook this past week um, of another coin that he picked up this past week. So we had the two leptas. Another coin that he got was this one. Uh, and it's his 14-year uh, recovery coin in the AA group that he's a part of. I don't know what these are made of, but it's nothing that's really like significant. I don't, I don't think it's a gold coin at that point. I think it's just a standard coin. It was one that he had picked up. But it's one that when we see it, we know that there is a significant life change that has taken place. There's a significant pattern, daily pattern that's taken place. And so when he went to the meeting and would have gotten this coin, oftentimes the words that would have been said was, hey, how did you do it? And a common response in AA is one day at a time one day at a time. I thought, you know, here's an example of a small everyday coin. And maybe we don't think two lepta, an eighth of a penny could make much difference. I don't know what the value monetarily is of something like that. But can we begin to see the way in which something small, seemingly insignificant to everyone else, can make a big difference? And the way that it happens is one day at a time. And that's what the widow is doing. Giving was a regular part of her life, it seems. It probably wasn't the first time that she tossed in a few pennies. She'd probably tossed in less, maybe even a little bit more. Maybe before she was widowed, she was able to give differently. Jesus' point is that regularly giving our lives away in small, seemingly insignificant ways, one day at a time, is a powerful way to live for Jesus. The humor of this story is that she gave two cents. And I think about that, and I think, you know, oftentimes people are very willing to give their two cents. <laughs> How often are people willing to toss their two cents into your life? 
and tell you what they think that you need to hear. But how uncommon is it that someone will give two hours of their time? How uncommon is it that we will give some of our time or our energy or our resources? Because then we can see it begins to take away from the plans and the agendas and the things that I had in mind. And so what we see here in this story is a call to a a daily pattern of surrender. A call to surrender and to trust in God. A call to surrender and to look and pay attention to our neighbors and those who are around us and to consider their needs and how we may be here now to help. Maybe when things change, they'll be there to help us in a hard time. It's an invitation to be surprised when generosity comes from unexpected places and unexpected people. And so in this particular passage, we know that it will go from this story at the temple to a much darker story where Jesus is put on trial, is uh, put before the people, and then, of course, is put up onto the cross. And so in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he gives up his life willingly for each one of us. That's one of those big sacrifices that we could never amount to or measure up to, but we can receive in faith. But Mark ends it with these words, and it's interesting. Because at the end of the gospel, Mark 15, chapter 39 says, Now the centurion who stood facing him, that's Jesus on the cross, saw this way he saw in this way he breathed his last, and he said, Truly, this man was God's son. Up until this point in the book of Mark, the only person who's begun a sentence with amen or truly is Jesus. That was his thing. And now Jesus has died. And the centurion here, knowingly or unknowingly, or if this is Mark's way of kind of offering us something unique, says, amen, this man was truly God's son. And I think it's one of the ways that Mark wants to show us that the example that we saw in Jesus is the example passed down to us. This becomes the beginning of this centurion's faith, where he recognizes what God is doing in this. And the amen is kind of the affirmation of all that God is doing. And so it reminds us that Jesus gave in a big way, right? Gave in the way that those people of Gander just offered up their entire lives, their entire week, their entire agenda for someone else. But it also reminds us and affirms all of his life that came before that. Because we know of the sacrifice that Jesus made, but Jesus is also known throughout Mark as a healer. And if Mark wants us to catch any image of Jesus, it's that he was a healer. He was a healer. Physically, he was a healer of those who were socially excluded or or marginalized. He was a healer for poor and for rich. He was a healer for the young and the old and the middle-aged. He was a healer for those who were at the end of their rope. He was a healer for those who had everything in this life and those who had nothing. And he was a healer for all of us whose faith at some time has wavered or struggled. And so Mark wants to offer us this ministry to say, may we have the faith to carry on the ministry of Jesus too. May we offer our lives to God and to our neighbor. And may God working through us, we give away everything that we have in big ways and in those small 
everyday ways that may seem insignificant, but are the ways that God amens all day, every day. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.